Some years ago, I was conversing with a chap, an atheist, a big, huge atheist, actually, somewhat even, you could argue, religiously atheist, if we can use that term. He was also immensely proud of his country and its achievements. In this case, that country was Ireland. My question to him was, if you are so opposed to imagined gods and beliefs, how are you so proud of being Irish? Isn't country no different from religion? Imagined mental structures humans create just to organize themselves? I still wonder about that. If you replace Islam or Christianity with Irish or Angolan, isn't it just the same? Who is an Australian? The Soviet Union was not a country in 1910 or 2010, but it was a country in 1960. There isn't a land called the Ottoman Empire anymore, and to my knowledge the UK is no longer in the European Union. What is the EU? And what is the United Kingdom? not to be in it. Is there a difference between nation, state, country, empire? What is patriotism and what is nationality? Who is a populist? Are these even things? In this pod, I want to tackle the ideas of nationhood, nationalism, country, statehood, and so on. But more than that, I want to ask, why do people die for their country? A nation is a community of people formed based on common language, territory, history, ethnicity, or a common culture. A nation is more overtly political than an ethnic group. It has been described as a fully mobilized or institutionalized ethnic group. Some nations are equated with ethnic groups. Ultimately, though, a nation is a mental structure. There is no biological evidence for such a context in nature. The word nation comes from the old French word nation meaning birth or place of origin, which in turn originates from the Latin word of nation meaning birth. An ethnic group, on the other hand, or ethnicity, is a grouping of people who identify with each other based on shared attributes that distinguish them from other groups such as a common set of traditions, ancestry, language, history, society, culture, nation, religion, or social treatment within their residing area. Ethnicity is sometimes used interchangeably with nation, though they are two different things. The word nation itself is sometimes used as a synonym for state and country. So what is a state? A state or a polity is a sovereign entity, a government which controls a specific territory which may or may not be associated with any ethnic group. A country is a geographic territory which may or may not have an affiliation with a government or ethnic group. A state or country is essentially a polity under a system of governance. A widely used definition from the German sociologist Max Weber is that a state is a polity that maintains a monopoly on the legitimate use of violence. Some states are sovereign, known as sovereign states, while others are subject to external sovereignty or hegemony, wherein supreme authority lies in another state. A good example of that could be an imperial possession or a dependency. So what is a nation-state? That term gets used a lot, 
A nation state is an identity within a common geographical region that has artificial land borders with other countries or other states. So a nation state is an identity, group of people with an identity within a common geographical region with artificial land and borders with other countries. In a federal union system, the term state is sometimes used to refer to the federated polities that make up the federation. Other terms that are used in such federal systems may include province or region or other terms, such as county. In international law, such entities are not considered states, which is a term that relates only to the national entity commonly referred to as the country or nation-state. Most of the human population has existed within a state system for millennia. However, for most of prehistory, people lived in stateless societies. The first states arose around 5,500 or so years ago in conjunction with rapid growth of cities. Invention of writing and codification of new forms of religion helped grow that process. A country is a distinct territorial body or political entity. It is a legal entity whose existence depends on goodwill of others, recognition by other similar entities and the ability to hold sovereignty over its claimed land. So what is sovereignty then? Well, sovereignty is the supreme authority within a territory. In any state, sovereignty is assigned to the person, body or institution that has the ultimate authority over other people in order to establish law and order in an existing political system. By the way, the word country also comes from Old French country. An empire is a sovereign state consisting of several territories and peoples subject to a single ruling authority, often an emperor. An empire can be made of continuous territories, such as the Austro-Hungarian Empire, or separated territories, such as the British Empire. Who better to explain nationalism than Benedict Richard O'Gorman Anderson, who was born in 1936 and died in 2015, who was a Chinese-born British-Irish political scientist and historian who lived and taught in the United States and died in Indonesia. He wrote the book Imagined Communities, Reflections on the Origin and Spread of Nationalism, in which he examined how nationalism led to the creation of nations, or as the title puts it, imagined communities. In this case, an imagined community does not mean that a national community is fake, but refers to Anderson's position that any community so large that its members do not know each other on face value must be imagined to some degree. According to Anderson, previous Marxist and liberal thinkers alike did not fully appreciate nationalism's power. Anderson argues that there are three paradoxes of nationalism. Number one, nationalism is a recent and modern creation despite nations being thought of by most people as old and timeless. Number two, nationalism is universal in that every individual belongs to a nation, yet each nation is completely distinct 
from every other nation. And number three, nationalism is an idea so influential and infectious that people will die for their nations, yet at the same time, an idea very difficult to define. One way how I personally think about this is I think that the Cherokee tribe in North America as a nation, whereas the United States, where the Cherokee reside, as a legal entity, as a country that believes it is a nation, but like other countries and like all countries, consists of multiple nations. In Anderson's theory of nationalism, the phenomenon only came about as people began rejecting three key beliefs about their society. One, that certain languages such as Latin were superior to others in respect to access of universal truths. Two, that divine right to rule was granted to the rulers of society, usually monarchs, and was a natural basis for organizing society. And number three, that the origin of the world and origins of humans were the same. Now, obviously, those three points are very Eurocentric, but the concept of nation and nationhood began in Europe, began after the French Revolution, and then got exported through empires elsewhere. Anderson himself argued that the prerequisites for the rejection of these beliefs that he outlined began in Western Europe through the numerous factors that led to ultimately what became to be known as the Age of Enlightenment, such as the power of economics, scientific revolution, and the advent of improvements in communication brought about the invention of the printing press under a system of capitalism. Anderson's view of nationalism places the roots of the notion of nation at the end of the 18th century when a replacement system began not in Europe, but in the Western Hemisphere, when countries such as Brazil, the United States, and the newly freed Spanish colonies became the first to develop a national consciousness. Now let's turn our attention to the building blocks of the state or the country. And what is it that makes that nation? What are the institutions that make that nation, even though it is an imagined entity? Number one, let's start with citizenship. So what is citizenship? It is the status of a person recognized under the law of a country, of belonging to that country. In international law, it is membership to a sovereign state. Each state is free to determine the conditions under which it will recognize its persons as citizens, and the conditions under which that status could be withdrawn. Recognition by a state as a citizen carries with it some recognition of civil, political and social rights, which are not afforded to non-citizens. In general, the basic rights normally regarded as arising from citizenship are the right to a passport, the right to leave and return to the country, the right to live in that country and to work there. Some countries permit their citizens to have multiple citizenships, while others insist on exclusive allegiance. A person who does not have citizenship of any state is said to be stateless, while one who lives on state borders whose international status is uncertain 
is considered a borderlander. A British citizen, for example, is permitted to hold multiple citizenships, and many do. An Indian citizen, for example, is not allowed to hold multiple citizenship. An Indian citizen can only be an Indian citizen, and should they change citizenship, are forced to renounce Indian citizenship. So what is national identity? National identity is a person's identity or sense of belonging to one's state or one's nation. Identity brings about an understanding in common qualities, beliefs, personalities, and expressions. So since we're looking at imagined communities, what are the institutions that bring this about? Let's start with tribes. The term tribe is used in many different contexts to refer to a category of human social groups. The concept is often contrasted by anthropologists with other social kinship groups, being hierarchically larger than a lineage or clan, but smaller than a chiefdom, nation or state. In some cases, tribes have legal recognition and some degree of political autonomy from national or federal governments. Sometimes an entire nation can be part of a tribe, going back to my earlier example of the Cherokee Nation, which also is a tribe. A national emblem is an emblem or seal that is reserved for use by a nation-state or multinational state as a symbol of that nation. Many nations have a seal or emblem in addition to a national flag and a national coat of arms. Other national symbols, such as national birds, trees, flowers, etc., are listed as lists of national symbols and pride. Then we have national deities or national gods. These are a class of guardian divinities or deities whose special concern is the safety and well-being of an ethnic group, i.e. the nation, and of that group's leaders. This is contrasted with other guardian figures such as family gods responsible for the well-being of individuals, clans or professions, or personal gods who are responsible for the well-being of individuals. These guardian roles argument the function that a divinity might otherwise have. Examples. Marduk for the Babylonians, Allah for the Muslims, Shiva and Vishnu and others for Hindus, God for the Christians. So what then is secularism? Well, secularism is the separation of religion, i.e. God, from civic affairs of the state and may be broadened to a similar position concerning the need to suppress religion in public spheres. Then we have something called national memory. Well, national memory is a form of collective memory defined by shared experiences and culture. It is an integral part to national identity. It represents one specific form of cultural memory, which makes an essential contribution to national group cohesion. Historically, national communities have drawn upon these memories and created monuments, myths and rituals and glorified individuals, objects and events in their own history to produce a common narrative. Then there is a national language. A national language is a language, or a variant of a national language, like a dialect, that has some connection with the nation. We also have tradition. A tradition is a belief or behaviour, 
passed down within a group or society with symbolic meaning or special significance with origins in the past. Then we have things like national myths. A national myth is an inspiring narrative or antidote about a nation's past. Such myths often serve as an important national symbol and affirm the set of national values. A national myth may sometimes take the form of a national epic or be incorporated into civil religion. For example, the US Founding Fathers, the year 1066 for the English, establishing the Kim Dynasty in North Korea, etc. Then we have national flags as a symbol. National flags are patriotic symbols with widely varied interpretations that often include strong military associations because of their original and ongoing use for the purpose. Flags are often used in times of war. So what's nationalism? Well, nationalism is an idea and a movement that promotes the interests of a particular nation or a group of people, especially with the aim of gaining and maintaining the nation's sovereignty over its own homeland. Something else that institutionalizes a nation, a state, or a country is a currency. A currency in the most specific sense is money in any form when in use or circulation as a medium of exchange, especially circulating banknotes and coins. A more general definition is that the currency is a system of monetary units in common use for people within that nation. Countries also have militaries. A military, known collectively as armed forces, is a heavily armed, highly organized force primarily intended for warfare. It is typically officially authorized and maintained by sovereign states with its members identified by distinct uniforms. It may consist of one or more military branches, such as an army, such as a navy or an air force, sometimes marines or coast guards, and these days even a space force. The main task of a military is usually defined as defense of the state and its interests against external armed threats. Then we have borders. We have borders to defend. Borders are geographic boundaries of political entities or legal jurisdictions, such as governments or sovereign states. Borders are established through agreements between political or social entities that control those areas. The creation of these agreements is called a boundary. No border, no country. So what's patriotism or national pride? Patriotism is the feeling of love, devotion and sense of attachment to a homeland an alliance with other citizens who share the same sentiment. This attachment can be a combination of many different feelings related to one's own homeland, including ethnic, cultural, political or historical aspects. It encompasses a set of concepts closely related to nationalism. In short, nationalism and patriotism are the same thing. I want to turn our attention now to the types of government that may exist in a country or a state. So what is a government? A government is the system or group of people governing an organized community, a state. Governance is the action of governing. It's the same root word as government. 
But for this exercise, we will look at the types of government at the state or national level. Totalitarianism is a concept for a form of government or political system that prohibits opposition parties, restricts individual opposition to the state and its claims, and it exercises an extremely high degree of control over public and private life. It is regarded as the most extreme and complete form of authoritarianism. In totalitarian states, political power has often been held by autocrats, often dictators or absolute monarchs who employ all-encompassing campaigns in which propaganda is broadcast by state-controlled mass media. Totalitarian regimes are often characterized by extensive political repression, a complete lack of democracy, widespread personality cultism, absolute control over the economy, massive censorship, mass surveillance, limited freedom of movement, and widespread use of state terrorism. A dictatorship is a form of government characterized by a single leader or group of leaders and has little or no toleration for political pluralism or independent media of any form. Totalitarianism and dictatorships are two different things, and they are also different from communism and fascism. Communism and fascism are ideas and philosophies. Dictatorships and totalitarian regimes are the mediums for actioning those philosophies. While we're on the topic, a regime is simply a form of government or a set of rules, cultural or social norms that regulate the operation of a government or institution and its interactions with society. It has more recently gotten negative connotations and often refer to totalitarian and dictatorships. A monarchy is a form of government in which a person the monarch, is head of state for life or until they decide to abdicate. The political legitimacy and authority of the monarch may vary from a purely symbolic role to a restricted role to a fully autocratic role. For example, Queen Elizabeth II of the United Kingdom is a constitutional monarch, very symbolic, whereas King Salman of Saudi Arabia is an autocratic monarch with absolute power and authority. Democracy is a form of government in which the people have the authority to choose their governing legislators. Cornerstones of democracies include freedom of assembly and speech, inclusiveness and equality, membership, consent, voting, right to life and minority rights. The notion of democracy has evolved over time and I will look at two types of democracies, the liberal democracy and the social democracy. The liberal democracy, also sometimes referred to as a Western-style democracy, is a political ideology and a form of government in which representative democracy operates under the principles of, and I'm air-quoting, liberalism in the traditional sense. It is characterized by elections between multiple distinct political parties, a separation of powers into different branches of government, a rule of law in everyday life as part of open society, a market economy with private property, and the equal protection of human rights, civil rights, civil liberties, 
and political freedoms for all peoples. A social democracy is essentially everything outlined in a liberal democracy, plus it argues that all citizens should be legally entitled to certain social rights. These are made up of universal access to public services such as education, healthcare, workers' compensation, public transportation, and other services including childcare and care for the elderly. Countries in modern Western Europe are typically in this category, for example, countries like Sweden, Germany, or France. Even a country like the US has a heavy social democracy slant, whereas a democracy such as India is more considered a liberal democracy versus a social democracy. A theocracy is a form of government in which a deity or god is recognized as the supreme ruling authority, giving divine guidance to human intermediaries that manage the day-to-day affairs of that government. The Roman emperors of Byzantium were God's agents on earth. The current Ayatollah of Iran is God's agent on earth. So what's a republic? A republic is a form of government in which the country is considered a public matter, not the private concern or property of rulers and where offices of states are subsequently directly or indirectly elected or appointed rather than inherited. A republic is therefore not a monarchy, but a republic does not have to be a democracy. Federalism is a political concept in which a group of members are bound together by some governing representative head. The term federalism is used to describe a system of government in which sovereignty is constitutionally divided between a central governing authority and smaller political units called states, provinces, counties or similar. A legislature is an assembly with the authority to make laws for a political entity such as a country. Legislatures form important parts of most governments in the separation of powers model. They are often contrasted with the executive and judicial branches of parliamentary government. A constitution is an aggregate of fundamental principles or established precedents that constitute the legal basis of a political entity. It often comes in the form of a physical written document that can be referred to. Countries like the US have a codified constitution but the UK has no codified constitution. So what is a stateless nation? A stateless nation is an ethnic group or nation that does not possess its own state, and it is not the majority population in any state. The term stateless implies that the group should have a state. Members of stateless nations may be citizens of the country in which they live, or they may be denied citizenship of that country. Stateless nations are usually not represented on international sports and organizations such as the UN. Some of the stateless nations have a history of statehood. Some were always stateless nations, dominated by another nation. Let's go back to the original question, how we started this podcast. Would you die for a country? Would you die for your country? I go back 
to the 2003 U.S.-led invasion and occupation of Iraq. Here was a country, the U.S., who had itself been attacked two years earlier, who had in turn counterattacked Afghanistan, looking for a way to protect itself from future attacks. Not only was it clear to the layperson that Iraq did not house any weapons of mass destruction, but that the entire exercise would be the biggest blunder in foreign policy history. Yet, not only did the US troops go fight, but they did so with patriotism. They died and killed not to defend their border, and by the way, they left that border wide open, but they proactively attacked and killed other people thousands of miles away. What made them do that? What made thousands of French soldiers toil away with Napoleon Bonaparte all the way to Moscow? What allowed German Nazi soldiers the ability to do horrific acts of violence against Jews and others? What is all this? And is it for nothing? Isn't a country just imagined like religion? Well, people kill and die for religion, don't they? How many died in World War I and then World War II? Entire empires rise and fall on the sense of dying for one's country. We have highly tense borders between India, Pakistan, North South Korea, Israel and its Arab neighbours. Do people send their children and grandchildren to kill and die because everyone is brainwashed? The answer is actually less complex than what you might think. Humans have been at the innovative forefront of looking after one's own back. Looking after their own tribe and not the other tribe. Wanting to be part of something bigger that they can belong to. Feeling their culture is better than others' cultures and so on and such forth. Even those who are liberally minded typically see themselves as superior to those who do not think like them. What makes someone kill or die for an imagined concept or someone who they will never meet like a politician or dictator is actually millions of years of DNA, habit and behaviour. Not only is it part of human civilization to do this, but it is human civilization to do this. Unless another sense of belonging is built or some other kind of purpose is established, then these norms will continue. There are, of course, exceptions. This model breaks if you or your family have experienced or lived in other countries. Perhaps you have family in another country, or you migrated. Your children may live elsewhere. This forces you to think a little differently. Some people have lived in multiple countries, speak different languages. A family unit of four in London could easily have one Russian parent, one Japanese parent, both kids born in different countries, all holding multiple passports. This happens a lot more than people realize. Then again, a 10-year-old Turk and a 10-year-old Kurd will have no beef, but in a short eight years could be killing each other. This is who we are as humans. This is humanity. Think we are a peace-loving people, idealists and so on is a fantasy. Based on a simple trajectory of human civilization, we will see people killing and dying for their country, imagined or not. People will die because a politician, a monarch or dictator wants to have a geopolitical fight with someone. Sometimes it's defense and sometimes it's attack. Maybe to have peace inside our countries 
it is better to have a conflict that can act as a distraction and a unifier far from home. Sometimes overt conflict isn't even necessary. You can foment coups or have a drone throw a bomb for you. But the objective is the same. Defend and attack for your country, your God, your culture, your institutions, your politicians, your people, your identity, your children, and ultimately you. I know many of you listeners are armchair generals, never had to kill people, and are all hot air. You will shout nationalism from the rooftops, but if you are thrust into open war, you would not know what to do. Well, give it a second and recall that people in World War I and World War II were asked to do just that. In fact, throughout history, men and boys have had to fight, kill or die. Women have faced the risk of enslavement and worse. Do or die is part of our DNA. Think about this. In the early 2010s, we had the growth of ISIS in Iraq and Syria. Yet very comfortable people from rich countries went to live in war-torn squalor to fight for a cause, their caliph, their supposedly country, their supposedly God. This is not an exception. This is the norm. So the answer is yes, you will die for your country because to die for imagined communities are ingrained in our animal DNA. Of course, part of you will not want to pick up a gun and fight in a trench, in filth and surrounded by hell. But when the political crafts screw up, and they always screw up, you and I are on the hook, or our children and grandchildren are on the hook. Either they die or they kill, and when it comes down to it, you would rather someone else's children die than your own. Thank you for your time in listening to this podcast. My objective is to provide an alternative view of history, putting our current situation in the context of history. Please like, subscribe, follow on your platform of choice. If you want to contribute, then there is a contribute link in the episode and show description. Thank you again.